Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 12th November 2021. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Pfizer's game-changing COVID oral antiviral results. Novartis sells its Roche stake. Novartis trumps productive pipeline. Bayer sees blockbuster status for hot flashes drug and continued hesitance over Aduhelm in the US. Already a leader with its COVID-19 vaccine, Pfizer shook up the status quo again on 5th November with Phase 2-3 data for its oral antiviral drug, which showed an 89% reduction in risk of death for non-hospitalised infected patients at high risk for progression to severe illness. The data appeared to best the results for Merck & Co. Ridgeback's Molnupiravir. Joseph Haas writes that as the first oral COVID-19 therapeutic to report Phase 3 success, and with its first approval from the UK, Molnupiravir was hailed as a transformative event for the pandemic, especially if it holds up for post-exposure prophylaxis. In a 5th November notes, RBC Capital Markets analyst Brian Abrahams predicted the new interim data from Pfizer will be a game-changer for the course of the pandemic. He added that the new data appear more robust than that reported for Molnupiravir, which showed nearly a 50% reduction in risk of hospitalisation or death. Based on a conversation with Pfizer executives after the data release, Cantor Fitzgerald analyst Louise Chen said she anticipates mega blockbuster sales potential for oral antivirals against COVID-19, with Pfizer holding the best overall drug profile to date. The Pfizer drug has a potentially broad patient population that includes those who have or have not been vaccinated and those who have or have not had the COVID-19 virus, she wrote in a 5th November note. An interim analysis of data from more than 1,200 patients in the placebo-controlled Phase 2-3 EPIC-HR study found that in patients treated within three days of symptom onset, Pfizer's Paxlovid, dosed with ritonavir, yielded an 89% reduction in risk of hospitalisation or death compared to placebo. While 0.8% of patients who received Paxlovid were hospitalised with no resulting deaths during a 28-day follow-up period, 7% in the placebo group were hospitalised and 7 died. Upon advice from the trial's Independent Data Monitoring Committee and the US FDA, Pfizer stopped enrolling the planned 3,000 patient study due to overwhelming efficacy and the company now is working on filing for emergency use authorization. Paxlovid is a specifically designed protease inhibitor of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, Pfizer explained, which is dosed with ritonavir to slow down metabolism of the drug and maintain a higher concentration of Paxlovid in patients' bodies. During Pfizer's third quarter sales and earnings call on 2nd November, Chief Scientific Officer Mikhail Dolston predicted Paxlovid might offer a better overall safety and efficacy profile than Merck's molypiravir. After over 20 very profitable years, Novartis is to sell its considerable stake in fellow Swiss giant Roche for $20.7 a sum that will swell its war chest for future acquisitions, dividends and buybacks. Kevin Grogan writes that Novartis first became a stockholder of Roche in May 2001, and between then and 2003 it invested around $5 billion to buy 53.3 million shares, representing approximately 33% of its outstanding bearer shares. That investment has delivered cumulative dividends in excess of $6 billion. Rumours abounded that a Novartis-Roche mega-merger was being lined up, but as the years have rolled on, the likelihood of any deal has faded. 
Now, two decades later, the firms have agreed a buyback, with Roche paying $388.99 per share, based on the average price of the stock over 20 days prior to 2nd November, when the deal was struck. Novartis said that it no longer considered the financial investment in Roche as part of its core business and therefore not a strategic asset. The strategy is for Novartis to be a focused medicines company and CEO Vasnero Simhan has been busy restructuring the group, including most recently a strategic review of its sandals, generics and biosimilars business. As for Roche, the company said that the repurchase, which will be debt financed, leads to the disentanglement of the two competitors and lets it regain full strategic flexibility. Chairman Christophe France said Roche will be even better positioned strategically in the future to provide life-saving medicines and diagnostics. Roche stressed that the transaction would not result in a change of control, as the pool formed by shareholders of the founding hoffman Uri families has long held the majority of the voting rights at the 125-year-old major. Their voting power will increase to 67.5% upon completion of the deal. Analysts at Jefferies believe the deal is lifting the overhang from debate around Roche potentially pursuing larger acquisitions in the near future, given its likely net cash position by year-end. Separately, Kevin also writes that Novartis is recognised by external observers as having one of the broadest and richest pipelines in the pharmaceutical industry. And while not everything will translate from the clinic to the market, the Basel headquarter giant is confident that its internal R&D teams will continue to deliver. So claimed John Tsai, who's the Swiss Majors Global Head of Drug Development, after kicking off Novartis' breakthrough science event that looked into the company's mid-stage pipeline in six areas, namely kidney disease, lung and pancreatic cancer, osteoarthritis, malaria and food allergy. He noted that over the last five years, we've had more drug approvals than any other pharmaceutical company, with 11 new molecular entities getting the green light from regulators. Tsai noted that Novartis' research efforts cover some 50 diseases, with around 165 projects now in clinical studies, adding that both the scale and the capabilities are what really differentiate us and our mid-stage pipeline. The development chief gave the example of pancreatic cancer, where he spoke of the potential of NIS-793, saying that the anti-TGF beta immunoglobulin 2 monoclonal antibody that was licensed in from Zoma and has just gone into phase 3 could transform treatment. Tsai added that Novartis is also interested in the big diseases that have significant potential for us to break the paradigm because there haven't been any new changes in standard of care for some time. He gave the example of LNA-043, a modified human ANG-PTL3 compound which may be able to repair damaged cartilage, the underlying cause of osteoarthritis. On the subject of clinical studies, Tsai said that through this COVID experience we've learned a tremendous amount about the recruitment of patients into trials, noting that Novartis went big on digital recruitment. Taking the digital route is helping the firm to accelerate trials for LNA-043, which is now in Phase 2b, as well as making it more efficient to centralise and coordinate the data that comes in. Remote monitoring has been a tremendous experience, he added, noting that we've actually put a goal for ourselves to shorten the development timeframe from 10 years to 8 years, 20% reduction, which is a tremendous amount in drug development. While previously it would have taken one year to prepare a trial, 
to bring patients in, write the protocols and have the health authority interactions. We've seen that shortened to four to six weeks, he said. While Ilea and Zarelto continue to drive sales growth at Bayer, CEO Warner Bauman highlighted a few future blockbusters at the company's third quarter media call, including Ellie Zanatant, its promising non-hormonal menopause drug for hot flashes and night sweats. Kevin Grogan writes that the German group got hold of Elisanatant through its September 2020 acquisition of the UK's Candy Therapeutics. Bayer paid $425 million up front for the first-in-class, once-daily, oral neurochirine 1-3 receptor antagonist, which is being evaluated for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms of the menopause. Bauman noted that Bayer has now initiated a Phase 3 programme called OASIS for the drug, and the market is a potentially lucrative one. By 2030, the population of menopausal and postmenopausal women is projected to increase to 1.2 billion, Bayer estimates. After a couple of tight-lit quarters, Bayer Pharma chief Stefan Ulrich was a bit more open about the prospects for a potential blockbuster, the prostate cancer drug Nubeca, which was approved in the EU in March last year after getting the green light in the US in July 2019. Nubeca is the third androgen receptor antagonist to come to market behind Pfizer Acelis' Extandi and Johnson & Johnson's Earliada, and Ulrich told analysts that for 2021, Nubeca sales will be between 200 and 250 million euros, so we are obviously thrilled for the first full year, he said. For the third quarter, Bayer's Q3 pharma sales came in at 4.54 billion euros, up 7.3%, with the Regeneron-partnered wet age-related macular degeneration market leader ILEA climbing nearly 20%. The anticoagulant Zarelto again passed the billion euro mark, largely as a result of significantly expanded volumes in Germany and Russia, which offset price-related declines in China. Finally, neurologists at the Clinical Trials on Alzheimer's Disease meeting conceded that the mixed Phase 3 results for Biogen Azize Aduhelm complicate decisions about whether to prescribe the drug. However, they also suggested that as Aduhelm is the first and only potentially disease-modifying therapy approved in the US for Alzheimer's, ongoing debates around safety and efficacy should not prevent doctors from trying the medicine in patients with no other options. Mandy Jackson writes that a 9th November roundtable discussion of the US FDA's accelerated approval of Aduhelm in June underscored the ongoing dilemma that prescribers face. I don't think that you can look at the clinical data that were presented earlier from Emerge and Engage, which were the Phase 3 trials, and conclude that we have slam-dunk evidence of clinical efficacy. University of California, San Francisco neurologist and professor Gil Rabinovici said. But on the other hand, Rabinovici continued, I don't think that you can look at the results of Emerge as some sort of anomaly and think about the accelerated approval as the worst decision in FDA history when you have the context of these other in-class drugs that are very consistently showing results that suggest that lowering amyloid moves tau biomarkers in the right direction and is showing an impact on clinical outcomes. Even if prescribers look past the fact that mixed results from the trials have not been published in a peer-reviewed journal and prescribe the drug based on data that Biogen has reported to date, showing that amyloid levels in Alzheimer's patients' brains were reduced in both studies, 
but resulted in significant slowing of cognitive decline only at the highest Adihelm dose tested in eMERGE. Many healthcare systems and payers are not including the drug on their formularies, limiting access to treatment. The Alzheimer's Association's highest priority is eliminating barriers to access for not only the current treatment approved, but for the upcoming treatments as a class, which CMS, which is the Centres for Medicare and Medicaid Services, is considering as a class at this moment, said Maria Carrillo, who is the organisation's chief science officer. CMS is working on a national coverage determination for Adihelm and other amyloid targeting therapies, with a draft expected in January, and a final decision expected in the spring. Many healthcare systems and payers are waiting to see what CMS decides before allowing doctors to prescribe and commercial health plans to cover Adihelm's cost. The unprecedented FDA decision to grant accelerated approval based on the antibody's impact on a biomarker, amyloid beta plaques in the brain, rather than Adihelm's effect on slowing disease progression, has left a lot of prescribers and payers confused about how to proceed. Biogen acknowledged recently that the scientific debate about the drug's efficacy due to the lack of published data, which the company says is coming soon, has kept doctors from prescribing Adjuhelm. Rabinovici said academics should pilot the use of this new class of drugs and model this for practising clinicians in the real world, and this actually happened organically. Shortly after FDA approval, several centres started to share protocols about patient eligibility and safety monitoring. He noted that the system of academic centres designated as Alzheimer's Disease Research Centres by the National Institute on Ageing is working on a consensus statement regarding patient eligibility for anti-amyloid therapies and how to use Adjuhelm and other drugs in an informed and safe way. But unfortunately, the implementation of many of these plans has been stalled because pharmacy committees at many leading academic medical centres have decided not to include this drug on their formulary. Rabinovich, said. That's all this week. Many thanks for listening. These stories in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and are just a fraction of those published in script over the past week. Log in to access all our content or please sign up for a free trial on the website to see what you're missing. Bye for now.